Uh, and we, that's what we've been talking about. He's coming back. Keep your head up. Get ready. Uh, the world gets complicated, but we just keep, you just brush that aside and remember this fact. And that's where we land here today as we end this little sermon that Jesus preached uh, 2,000 years ago when his disciples asked him, well, when are these gonna ha- things happen? You know, what are the signs going to be? And, and Jesus preaches a sermon. And the last chapter, chapter 25 in our Bibles, although the original text didn't have chapter divisions, but the last chapter has these three stories. He just kind of layers them on top of each other. And each of these stories builds an intensity, builds in the conclusion. And we get to the final story today, the story of the sheep and the goats, which is weird because it's not really a story. It's kind of just like this this metaphor that drives the sermon. And it, it helps us. And we'll get in there in a moment. We'll talk about sheep and goats. But let's look at verse 31, which sets the tone for this. This is the beginning verse. It says in Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Okay, so when Jesus ascended into heaven, 40 days after his resurrection, the disciples are standing there in the book of Acts watching. Wow. And these angels appear. I'm like, yo, guys, he's, he's coming back just like he said. So get going and doing what he told you to do. So get, you know, quit gawking. You know, okay, you know, so the book of Acts is like about what they're doing, waiting for Jesus to come back, right? And so, so here's like, he finally is coming back. Oh, no, we'll stay at that verse for a second. Just wait. We'll, get to, we'll come back to the, yeah, there we go. We'll get to that thing in a moment. So when this happens, we see he comes, and look how he comes, the quality of his coming. He comes with his glory and with the angels. Now, when he was on earth, there were only just glimpses of his glory that he revealed to people. He didn't carry and examine, you know, show it all the time. He kind of hid his superpower, so to speak. But then he would show up at a wedding and turn water into wine. And he'd, he'd find a leper and cleanse him. And he'd, he'd heal paralyzed people and, you know, take up your mat and walk. And, I mean, he, he would reveal his glory just in tiny little snippets. Once to, to the internal group of disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he showed him his glory. And even that it was kind of a, a temporary fading experience. And that, that they couldn't handle it forever. But here he comes back in his glory. This is not Jesus with his, you know, carpenter's tools and, you know, eating fish on the seashore. This is Jesus in full kingly regalia. And the angels are with him. So all those that are at his service, who are there to serve the, the creator of the, the ends of the earth, Jesus Christ himself, are coming with him. Like, this is a, a magnificent picture. And he sits down on the throne. And so what, what I'm going to see is, see, you see the return of Christ there, that second arrow coming down? This is what he's talking about. The church is gone. There's this period of, of, of tribulation. He's described in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation that occurs in this tribulation period. On the earth, he has resumed the 70th week of Daniel, this prophecy related specifically to the Israelite nation. And in the peri- middle of that period of time, the Israelite nation realizes that the Antichrist is a deceiver. And, and throughout that period, people are turning to Jesus Christ, many Jews and many non-Jews as well. And then you get the return of Christ at the end, this millennium, the final judgment, and then eternity. Not everyone agrees with me on this. But as I read the scriptures, this is how I see it. So what he's talking about is the return of Christ. He's coming down. He's got angels in glory. And he sits on his throne. 
He has a position of authority and of power. Some would suggest that Jesus is on the throne right now. That Revelation 20 is, is a spiritual thing. He's, he's ruling right now. But, but here, clearly, when he comes, then he sits on the throne. There's a future reality to this. That, that while he is the king of kings and lord of lords, he awaits a future earthly kingdom. And then it says in verse 32, all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate people from one another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Now, we're just going to hold it there. Okay. So he gathers the nations. That word nations is typically used in the New Testament of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He gathers these non-Jewish people together. There they all are. And he's, he's separating them. Now, I, I was in 4-H as a, as a kid. Uh, I, I liked agriculture. Now, we didn't live in, in the country, so I, I had to resort to, like, you know, lower levels of 4-H, right? It was rabbit, 4-H rabbit, right? So we weren't, like, you know, we were kind of like the joke of, you know, the butt end of the, of the 4-H club because, like, we weren't beef, we weren't dairy, we weren't horse, we weren't, you know, I, I, maybe the pig guys were below us, but, I, I mean, we were kind of in the lower land of, of 4-H, you know, uh, stratification, right? I mean, um, but, but we would all gather together, all these clubs, into my community, and we would do this thing in the spring called judging. And as a 4-H person, while I was a member of the rabbit club, I had to judge every other club's animals. I had to judge sheep. I had to judge goats. Uh, I had to judge, you know, pigs, you know, horses. And, and you know, so you know, you, I learned a little bit, a little bit, a tiny little bit about sheep and about goats. Now, sometimes you get a, a group of four goats together, and you're like, well, that looks like four goats. But you had to say, well, this one is the best goat, and this one is the worst goat. And, and you know, and sometimes, you know, in the early, you know, when they're just teaching you how to judge, they'd throw, they'd throw another animal in the pen. Three and one. So, clearly, one of those don't belong, right? I, I, went, I watched Sesame Street as a kid, right? I know, right? So that's number four. And then you got to kind of pick the best one. Well, this one's got like a, a crooked foot or this one's tail is not right. And, you know, this one's cross-eyed. And you're, you're trying to get the best to the worst. Somehow, I managed to get third place in my age division in the salmon arm judging competition. I mean, I even got like a, a little ribbon, and I was like, yeah. And they're like, you're going to go to Vancouver and judge against the best in the province. I'm like, yeah, I think. <laughs> and so I went to Vancouver, the Pacific National Exhibition, and I'm judging against all these beef guys and dairy guys and horse girls and all these people that are really into this. And there's four sheep in a pen, and they look identical. <laughs> judge them. And so I didn't do as well at the national competition, but I was third place in salmon arms. So anyway, so, so sheep and goats, how do you know the difference? So I got a picture here, uh, you know, sheep and goats, but sometimes certain varieties look very close. And if you're like me, we struggle as Canadians because every time you drive into the mountains, you see these things that look like goats and they're sheep. And things that look like goats and you know, sheep and they're goats, you know, like mountain goat. I mean, the, the furry thing is the, is the sheep, and, this, and, the, and the, the thing that looks like a goat is actually a sheep. And a, I mean, it gets so, so confusing. So sometimes you got to just listen. And so the vocal tone of a, of a sheep or a goat helps you determine what that animal is. So I have here just a, a short video. That obviously is a sheep. No, it's a goat. Let's watch that again one more time. Turn it up a little bit on the volume, all right? Let's watch that one more time. Okay, listen. 
You're going to have nightmares now, aren't you? <laughs> it's a screaming goat. All right, so here's, here's another one, I think. Do we do that? Yeah, we go. That, I think it's a goat, right? But then it's, it's a No, it's a sheep. <laughs> All right, that's good enough. That, that's, that's good. Yeah, you, you, I think you guys got it, don't you? Oh. These three stories in Matthew 25 have all had this aspect of separation. In the first story, there's these bridesmaids, and half are ready, half aren't, and then they're separated. The second story, there's, there, there's the faithful servant, and there's the unfaithful servant, and they're separated. And we get to the final story, and we have this, this group of people, and Jesus is, is separated them. Now, you guys that are farmers, you understand, you sort your animals. Uh, you know, you cattle farmers, you, you especially get this, right? Because it comes spring, and you're doing checking, it's preg checking, and oh, this, this cow's empty. Well, you're, you're shipping her, you sort her, you ship her out, or she becomes hamburger for the family, for the whatever. You ship her, you know, you're, you're shipping, you know, you're, I'm going to keep these heifers, I'm going to sell these ones. I mean, you're doing this all the time. So here's Jesus, he's sorting animals. I do this in a very small way with my chickens. And then the fall, I'm like, I want to keep these ones. And these ones are going to go to a new home, you know, and, and that's many different varieties of new home. But you, sometimes I sell them. Sometimes that home is a, a square box. It's really cold. And, you know, but, you know, there, there's a place for these things, right? You sort them. You understand this. So here's all the nations gathered at the throne of Jesus, and he is separating them. And he says in verse, uh, oh, sorry, and remember, um, it's the right and the left. The right is the hand of, of power and of blessing. The left, in this case, is, is not the hand of blessing. It's the hand of cursing. It's the hand of separation, the hand of judgment. That's kind of the driving metaphor of, the, of this parable, is that the right hand is, is the right place to be. The left hand is not the right place to be. In the Bible, the right hand was, was placed upon the, the, the one who, who was given the greater blessing. So when... when when uh, Jacob is blessing Joseph's sons, right? He, Joseph puts his, his hand on the oldest one's head, his right hand, and his left hand, because, you know, Jacob can't see very good. And, 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 then, and then he crosses his hands. Joseph's like, no, 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 Dad, you got it wrong. The, the, the older one is on your right side. He's like, I know. And he blesses him like this, boop. Because the younger receives the greater blessing than the older in this case. He's separated them. And this is what the king says in verse 34. The king said to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I mean, what an awesome thing. The only time Jesus refers to himself as the king, uh, and notice what they're getting, an inheritance. It's not merely an entrance. It's different to enter a house or to inherit a house, right? It's very different, isn't it? You, you can enter a house, but to inherit a house is a way different situation. You actually possess it. You actually own it. Come into the kingdom that you are part of. You possess it. You, you're an owner in this. You're, it's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come and discover the blessing. How is it that this particular group gets invited into this place? And he tells us there... In verse 35, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. I mean, you actually put your faith into action on my behalf. 
You understand, like this is a driving text for a lot of social ministry, even today. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, in fact, this was the driving text that, that compelled her to go to India and to set up those, those, those places where, where she ministered to lepers and those that were dying. I mean, this was the driving text. Some would suggest that maybe this is what it means to be a Christian, is to do this kind of stuff. Which is not really what the Bible teaches, but that's what they would suggest. That if you just do the right things, then you are a Christian. You maybe have even heard that or seen that. I think there's quite a few people in our community and in our country that would say, oh yeah, as long as you're a good person, looking after people, volunteering, you know, doing good deeds, then you're, you're in, you're, you're a Christian. But that's not, of course, what the Bible teaches. But in this case, he is separating them because they performed these actions on behalf of someone else. In fact, Jesus is saying, you did this for me. I was naked. I was sick. I was in prison. And they're all like, well, Jesus, like, you just came back. You just, you're sitting on your throne. I don't remember you ever in any of the situations in my past, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years of my life. Because that's what they ask him. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? Did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? When? Like, like I don't remember that. You see, they weren't doing these things to try to, you know, earn God's favor. They, they were just doing them. But Jesus like, you know, no, you, you, you were doing this for me. You see that, what he says there in verse 40? And the king answered them, I tell you the truth. Just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. The interpretation of this passage really hinges on this verse. Who are the least of these brothers or sisters of mine? What is he talking about? Contextually, the sermon has talked about the abomination of desolation. It's talked about the tribulation period. It talks about Jews leaving Jerusalem. You remember that in Matthew 24. He's like, look, when you see these things happen, hit the road. Don't even stop to grab your jacket. Don't even, you know, go down into the house. Just head for the hills because things are going to get bad and really bad and really worse. And so get going. And what he is talking about here is Gentiles that are living in the time of the tribulation period that helped the Jews that were running out of Jerusalem and, and that took care of them and loved them and nurtured them and fed them and clothed them and, and visited them. Like they actually looked out for these Jews that are running and escaping the horrific of, you know, evilness of the Antichrist in that period of time. Contextually, that's how it would fit into this Matthew 24 and 25. And in doing it for them, they did it for Jesus. They're considered righteous. And what's really interesting is that the Jews today, and these are not Christian or believers in Jesus, but they, they have this designation for people that helped Jews called the righteous among the nations. Uh, one of these guys is this guy in here named um, Ronnie Edmonds from Tennessee. Stuck in a prisoner of war camp in Germany. It's 1945, near the end of the war, and the, the Germans are commanding, you know, they're basically clearing out these camps of all the Jews. It's horrific. 
horrific. And so in the camp, he's responsible for all the prisoners. And, and they say, tomorrow, all the Jews are to stand and line up you know, in front of the guards and, and you know, present themselves before, before the Germans. And, and, you know, and, and with, you know, obviously, something's going to happen. So this master sergeant says, tomorrow, everyone is going to line up. All of us together. Everyone in the whole camp is going to line up. So in the morning, they're all out there. And, and, and the Germans are like, they can't all be Jews. So we go, you know, he goes to them, you know, why, you know what's going on? You know, how come the Jews, you know, where, where are the Jews? And he stands up in front of the whole camp. He says, we are all Jews. And the guy holds a pistol to his head and says, come on now. He's like, yeah, you, you can shoot me. And if you shoot me, you're going to have to shoot everyone here. And at the end of the war, you will be held accountable by the Geneva Convention for killing all of us in this camp. And so the German put us pistol away and they dismissed the crowd and the Jews lived to live another day and in fact to see liberation from that camp one man willing to take a stand and so in Yad Hashem Vashem in, in Israel the Holocaust Memorial there is a tree and, and his name is, is listed in honor of what he did for God's people for the Jews in that period of time he looked out for them He's considered righteous among the nations by the Jewish nation. And Jesus says, those who look after the least of these brothers and sisters of mine will be considered righteous. Enter into the blessed kingdom that, that they will inherit because they reflected the heart of God. Now, some people don't believe there's any future for Israel, that the church is the new Israel and all that stuff. I don't see that in the scriptures. I see that God still has a plan. And that we should be conscientious about praying for Israel, about, you know, respecting the, the Israelite nation, and, and not to be political about it, but understand that God still has a heart for them and a future plan that he will bring it to completion, which is what we're looking at here. But then we get to the, that's the sheep. Then we get to the goats in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This is pretty serious stuff. Notice, you know, we, we don't like to talk about hell, but notice where it's, what, hell ultimately wasn't prepared for, 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 for humans. It was prepared for the, the rebellious, uh, you know, angelic realm that, that rebelled against God prior to our creation even. And so, so, so hell was made for them, but but those that reject God and fight against God ultimately will end up there too. And these are considered especially accursed because they fought against and failed to support God's people in this horrible period of time. You see that in verse 42. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not receive me as a guest. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they too will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not give you whatever you needed? You guys watch the news. You have the internet. You see how the rest of the world lives. There are many cultures and all those that are not Christian that understand that when you're poor and when you're naked and when you're sick, that that is the, the fate of the gods for you. That is your caste. That's where you were born. You are destined to live that until you die and hopefully resurrected into a better way. Or Allah just determined that, that you know, that's, that's what you needed or deserved. 
They view it very differently than we do. Where God says, you are to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. You are to love, feed, clothe, help. You don't leave someone sitting in a ditch. You go and you help them. It's different. But you can just imagine all these Gentiles, the tribulation period, and the end of the, they've survived it. And Jesus is like, you didn't do anything for these, the least of mine. In verse 45, then he will answer them, I tell you, the truth, just as you did not do it for the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will depart into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the kingdom, people are all alive there. They're gathered together. The sheep are over here. The goats are over here. The righteous are here. The unrighteous are here. And these depart into the eternal judgment. And these enter into the millennial kingdom where Christ reigns rules. He's sitting on the throne. Thousand year glorious millennium. All the prophecy of the Old Testament yet to be fulfilled find their fulfillment here in this millennial kingdom. Lie in the lamb. There it is. Child playing at the you know, there, there's a snake nest and he's playing in the snake nest. What parent lets their kid play in the snake nest? Well, in the millennial kingdom you can do that. Because snakes obviously don't bite there. They're kind of nice snakes and whatever, you know. And so, so it's this beautiful picture. And, and these enter into this glorious, you know, reality of Christ's rule. And these miss out forever and ever and ever. And it's the final story and it's a serious one. Because Jesus wants everyone to know that, yes, the end is coming. And there's no neutral place in this story. Right? Some of you think this. Even in, in kids in school have this reality like, well, there's bad stuff going on. As long as I don't get involved, it's, I'm not part of it. And, you know, and, like if you're watching a bully take on someone else and you're just standing there, you're, you're part of the bullying. You can't say, oh, I didn't do it. Yeah, you were there. You saw it. You, you witnessed it. You didn't stop it. German Christians watched carloads of Jews, train carloads, go by. They'd sing their hymns louder. But some did something. The Danish underground got in their boats and they would row Jews across the inlet to safety and to freedom. What would you do? You can't claim neutrality. Well, I'm not going to get involved. You have to get involved. Jesus is like, there's either a right or a left. There's no center line here. And that's the way salvation works. You either believe in Jesus Christ or you don't. And if you don't, unfortunately, this is where you end up. But Jesus gives us a sermon so you don't end up there, but so you end up here in the right place. Okay, so I got this slide again. So just so you understand, right? We enter the millennium, the final judgment. This is the great white throne judgment where people are resurrected from the dead and they're held accountable for their whole life. That is not the picture that we have here in Matthew 25. It's not the same judgment. It's not the judgment that happens at the corner there, but the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians are held accountable for their lives. There's there's separate judgments. But we all will be held accountable. But this sermon that Jesus preaches is just a reminder. Hey, guys, live it right. Live it right. You know, follow me. Trust me. Worship me. Obey me. And and it's going to all work out really good for you. 
So anyway, here's the lessons from Matthew 24 and 25. The king could come at any time, but no one knows when. So you're listening to stuff online, you're watching TV shows, and they're saying, well, this is happening. It's going to be, if they're giving you a date, they're wrong. Turn them off, burn their literature, quit listening to them, block them on the YouTube, whatever it is. Don't listen to that garbage. No one knows when. Okay? Sometimes old people get excited about the end times and they start wanting to see it everywhere. I just, I see it. And, and men I respect, they kind of get a little bit like, oh, I want the rapture to happen before I die, you know, and they get a little bit kind of, eh, you know, but just be aware. No one knows when, but it could happen anytime. Wouldn't it be awesome if you're serving on June 18th and the master returns and you're, you're putting tables out and you're setting up chairs here? Wouldn't that be just great, eh? Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Number two, we are to watch out that we are not deceived, not be alarmed as we wait. If someone says they think something significant has happened, <gasps> someone saw Jesus in, in Jerusalem. He was up on Mount Tabor, you know, and people were gathering to him. No, no, no. Just don't be deceived, okay? That's clearly in Matthew 24. There's going to be lots and lots of, of, you know, deception. Don't get sucked into that, okay? Number three, we are to be prepared for his return. That's emphasized throughout this sermon. Be ready. Be prepared. Be ready. It's spiritual preparation. It's physical preparation. It's utilizing what we have here in anticipation of what's going to be be prepared. Number four, we are encouraged to be faithfully serving in anticipation of his return. May he find us doing exactly what he would want us to be doing, not what we want to be doing. And that's where we kind of burn our, some of our selfish agendas and assume his walking order. And number five, we're to reflect the heart of Christ in our actions towards his people as we wait. That's, that's towards Christians, but especially towards Jews and, and, and towards each other. Um, this is not a, a text about social justice, about just, you know, being do-gooders. And, but, but it is a sense of, like, this is the heart of God, to look after people in need. And like I said, other religions don't do this to the same extent because they don't believe that. They have this fatalistic viewpoint of, of, of destiny and all that stuff. And, you know, but but in, in Christianity, we say, no, God enters into a messy world and ministers healing to hurting people. And he says, this is what I want you guys to be doing. We are to reflect the heart of Christ and actions towards people as we wait. So if you don't sponsor a child and, and you've got extra money, I would, yeah, go to Compassion and start sponsoring children because this is the heart of God. Look out for people in need. Is there a single mom nearby? Is there a widow around that could use some help? Be aware of the opportunities to be the hands and feet of God here in this world. Be ready to minister and care for each other. I'm going to invite the team up. We are strong when we stand together, people. And in the past three to five years, there was some just awful division within the body of Christ, and, and we can't afford to be doing that. I confronted some of my own pastoral friends because they were 
going on about this guy getting thrown into jail and how he deserved it. And I said, the Bible says to remember those in prison as though we were there with him. And the one guy, you know, on, on YouTube, you know, he's, he's opening up his Bible and he's looking at the text because they were just like, they were so critical of our brother. I'm like, I don't, I don't care if you disagree with how he did it. A brother shouldn't be thrown in prison for, for having his church. And the Satan just laughed because he's like, I love it when I can divide the body. We're stronger when we stand together. And Jesus invites us to stand on the right side and receive blessing. We come to faith in him and we believe in Jesus Christ and then we, we, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So salvation has not come from doing the good works, but those works are a reflection of Christ's influence in your heart. The more you walk with Jesus, the more generous you'll become, the less selfish you'll become, the more you'll be like, oh, you know what, I've got holidays, but instead of just doing my own thing, I'm gonna actually do something, like I'm gonna go to camp, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go on a missions trip because I wanna invest my life in things that are gonna last. And God invites you to that, even today. So would you pray with me as we close and the team's gonna lead us in a song here. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, I'm inviting you today to believe in him. The story and this whole of scripture makes it very clear there's, you're either on one side or the other. You, you can't really walk the fence in this way. And Jesus invites you today to believe in him and to have eternal life through faith in him alone. And Lord, we are your people. Unify us. Strengthen us. Give us the resources to be the people you want us to be. Help us to love the needy, the poor, the helpless, the vulnerable, to reflect the heart of Christ in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. We look forward to your return, Lord. May we be found ready and ex experience just the elation of being with you forever. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the team?